This podcast is a production of the Ephesus School Network. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, You must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Revelation 10, 8-11 you are listening to the Tell Me the Story podcast with your hosts, Blaze Webster and Rowdy Wind. Join us as we engage in a complete read-through of the Holy Scriptures, parsing out the original languages with one question in mind. What is the story? Hello, this is Blaze Webster and you are listening to Tell Me the Story. In today's episode, we will be dealing with the reunion of Joseph and Israel. This is chapter 46 of Genesis for those who want to follow along. In the first section of this chapter, we hear, So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came to Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters, and his son's daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. So interjecting here for a moment, throughout these episodes we have commented on the frequent flip-flopping between the two names, Jacob and Israel. And here, it's no exception. We've commented before on the meanings of these two names, but it bears repeating that the precise understanding of how they function in the story simply needs more time to fully elucidate. And you know what? That's okay, because some things are just difficult to parse. It is interesting, though, that Jacob is almost entirely negative in its connotation. As a reminder, though, the original Hebrew Yaakob refers to a grabbing of the heel, and in a sense, it means a supplanter. The root also has a connotation of something that is uneven and perhaps unpredictable, like an uneven road. On the other hand, Israel is a play on two different roots. On the one hand, it comes from the root Sarah, which is the same root from which Prince, or Sar, comes from, and also where Sarah, the wife of Abraham, comes from. It means to prevail, and naturally, because of the meaning with uh, Prince and Princess, it has a regal connotation. Going farther, though, Israel could also be parsed from the root yasser, meaning upright or easy. 
Yasser, of course, is a famous Arabic name as well. One can do this because it shares the first three letters with Israel. So if you take the Hebrew letters Yasser and you compare it with the Hebrew letters Israel, you'll notice that they are exactly the same. Because Yasser is spelled Yod, Shin, and Resh. And Israel is spelled Yod, Shin, Resh, Aleph, and Lamed. So it could mean that God is upright, or perhaps God makes upright. In this sense, it's fascinating that Yasser appears to be the opposite of Yaakov. And we actually see a play on both of these roots in Isaiah 40-55, to commonly called in scholarly circles Deutero-Isaiah or 2nd Isaiah, because it forms a thematic inclusio which differentiates itself from the other parts of Isaiah. Firstly, the basic premise of Isaiah 40-55 to is God's salvation of Israel and the surrounding nations by the work of his suffering servant. Chapter 40 works essentially as a preamble, and right off the bat we have the two roots prominently in the famous opener of this section. In verses 3 and 4 we hear, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight, Ishuru, that's from Yasar, in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain shall be made low and uneven. Ha'akob, ground, shall become level. Lemisur. So we've got Ha'akob from the same root that Yaakob is from. The ground shall become level. Lemisur, which is from Yasser. And the rough places a plain. And then later in this chapter, we have the mention of the two roots as solidified in the names Israel and Jacob in verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And then in chapter 41, verses 8 through 10, we hear, but you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So the text of Isaiah continues going back and forth between Israel and Jacob. And actually, before we even get to chapter 40, it began all the way back in chapter 14. So it's something that is all over the book of Isaiah. And I won't belabor the point too much more for the, just for the sake of time. But I do think it's important to showcase these instances and perhaps add some context with these occasions in Genesis. And then I also want to mention, too, that there's also the word Yesharun which uh, is also from the same root, and it's also applied to uh, Jacob and Israel, which is very interesting. And it's from that root, Yesar, and it's very, um, it's very clear that it's from that root. So clearly the root Yesar is related in some way to the root Israel. So again, it's really interesting to go into. 
um, maybe one of these days I'll do a, a paper or something, or I'll, I'll get more into, uh, the ins and outs of the whole thing. But, uh, for the sake of this episode, again, I don't want to go too much in depth with it, uh, but it is interesting nonetheless, but just a, f- a few more things. Um, it is interesting that Israel is God's servant in this passage, although the original Hebrew is abdi, which means my slave, so servant is a very weak translation. And Jacob is chosen, bakartika in Hebrew. So one gets the sense, perhaps, that Jacob is chosen to become God's slave and thus upright, which would be what Israel is. So Jacob is the starting point and Israel is the outcome. It's an, it's an interesting idea, but we can't commit to anything unless we've heard thoroughly the entire scripture in Hebrew, which I haven't done that yet. <laughs> so still learning. So, you know, we've, we've got to continue on with, uh, with the text and just continue learning on um, with the Hebrew. And uh, over time, you know, we're going to be more informed and be able to approach this better. This is just the starting point. And uh, just a word about the rest of this passage, as we are about to get another long list of names. Uh, this time, I'll simply pick out the ones that I immediately uh, see as as something interesting to talk about, just stuff that, uh, you know, quickly, uh, you know, caught my ears and my eyes. But, uh, you know, I'm not just going to totally gloss over the other names. Instead, uh, I'm going to put those in the show notes, uh, just parsing out all the names of the genealogy so that those who are interested can go and look at it. Uh, But I don't see a reason to bog down the podcast episode just going through the names uh, because that could be a whole other episode in and of itself. And, uh, you know, I I just think that for the sake of flow, it might be better to do something like that. We'll see how it goes. But uh, at least for this episode, that's that's what I'm going to do. But they will be in the show notes. So if you're interested, please look for that. But of course, all these names are, are going to show up uh, in later parts of scripture as well. So uh, we will have time to go over them. Uh, so in this next section, starting in verse eight, now these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt. Jacob and his sons, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and the sons of Reuben, Hanuk, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi, the sons of Simeon, Jimuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jakin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of the Canaanite woman, the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, the sons of Judah, Er, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah, but Er and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. The sons of Issachar were Tola, Puva, Yob, and Shimron. The sons of Zebulun, Sered, Elon, and Jalil. These are the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob and Padanaram, together with his daughter Dina. Altogether his sons and daughters numbered thirty-three. The sons of Gad, Ziphion, Haggai, Shuni, Esbon, Eri, Arodi, and Areli. 
the sons of Asher, Imna, Ishva, Ishvi, Bariah, Sarah, their sister, and the sons of Bariah, Heber, and Malkiel. And these are the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to Leah, his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, 16 persons. The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, Joseph and Benjamin, and to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, who Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On, bore to him, and the sons of Benjamin, Bela, Becher, Ashbel, Gerah, Naaman, Echi, Rosh, Mupim, Hupim, and Ard. And these are the sons of Rachel, who were born to Jacob, fourteen persons in all. The son of Dan, Hushim, the sons of Naphtali, Jazil, Guni, Jezer, and Shalem, the sons of Bilhah, whom Laban gave to Rachel his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, seven persons in all. And all persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons' wives, were sixty-six persons in all. And the sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were seventy. So some things to comment on. Starting with the sons of Reuben, right off the bat we have Hanuk, which instantly calls to mind the two Enoch spoken of earlier in Genesis. As a reminder, the name refers to a dedication. The first Enoch was dedicated by his father Cain and made emblematic of the city which was named after him. The second Enoch was a perfect Enosh in the sight of the Lord and was taken by him after a perfect 365 years walking with God. It is fascinating that the first son of the first son of Israel is Hanuk, the dedicated one. Next, among the sons of Simeon, we have Shaul, which is identical to Saul in Hebrew. This name, of course, means asked for because Israel asked for a king. Interestingly, though, if one just looks at the consonantal text, Saul is identical to Sheol, the grave, so it is inherently ominous. Among the sons of Levi, we have Gershon, which is interesting because it is linguistically very similar to Gershom, the son of Moses, who also happens to be a Levite. Both names refer to sojourning. There are also many others I could talk about, but again, I'll leave the parsings of these names in the show notes so you can consult them if you wish. The final point I would like to make on this listing of names is the fact that there are 70 in general. Seventy refers to the totality of the nations, as it comes from the numbering of the sons of Shem, Ham, and Japheth in Genesis 10. There are also many other occurrences where 70 refers to the Gentiles. In the New Testament, while Jesus had 12 disciples, the number of his disciples reaches 70 persons, a clear parallel. And there is the legend, of course, of the Septuagint, which gets its name from the 70 scribes who allegedly translated it. Since the Septuagint was obviously an attempt to share the Torah with the Greek-speaking population, it bearing the number 70 in its name couldn't be any more perfect. Joseph here is functioning as an early realization of Japheth, dwelling in the tents of Shem. Both names are interestingly similar. Joseph means to add and 
Japheth means to enlarge. Joseph's marriage to Asenath ensures that the Israelites now have Egyptians in their fold. Joseph has added to the house of Israel with members who are their closest enemies. It's very interesting. This cannot be coincidental. It's also interesting to see how the book of Genesis works as its own unit. It is a complete story in its own right. The Joseph cycle is the perfect finale, but because God knows we won't listen the first time, we have a laborious and unending narrative going forward. And speaking of which, starting in verse 28, he had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh, and I will say to him, My brothers and my father's household, who are in the land of Canaan, have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds, and all that they have. When the Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. We end with the ominous exchange with Pharaoh, which will set up the conflict of the book of Exodus. It also highlights the mercy of the current Pharaoh. But like all human dynasties, it comes to an end, and the person who succeeds this Pharaoh just happens to be a tyrant who has had no interaction with the Hebrews, only to view them as a growing foreign threat and will treat them accordingly, as any king would. This is the perennial problem with successive monarchies. For every benevolent ruler, like Cyrus, there will always be an Antiochus Epiphanes to replace him. As is what happens when we put our stock in kings. And these aren't my words. Listen to what God said through Samuel, his mouthpiece. These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties. And some will plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. And he will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. And he will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. And he will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. And he will take your male servants and female servants and the rest of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. And he will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. So that is it for us today. I'll be back next week to continue our study of Genesis. God bless you all. And he shall be like the tree which is planted by